You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. My name is James Swanson. I'm a covenant member here at Connection Church. Uh, My wife, Tony, and I also lead a gospel community. And a little bit about me, Tony and I have been married for 35 years, and uh, we have the blessing of nine children, four by birth, two by adoption, and we've added three sons through marriage. So the men are making a run in our household, and I love it. Um, and we have three grandchildren anticipating a fourth in the summer. So um, I love where God has placed us. And, and it's, a, it's an honor to be up here to share God's word with you this morning. And uh, just hear from what he has to say through the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. If you've been here for a little while, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and um, we're going to jump over to Ephesians 3, and so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in a tray in front of you that looks something like this, Um, and... If you can, um, in my Bible, it's page 634, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And so, if you can't find Ephesians, just look in the table of contents. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free, this is our gift to you. Take it with you, keep it, read it. Uh, If you know somebody who would like a Bible, please take one and give it as a gift to them. We want to get the God's Word into people's hands and hearts as possible. So, uh, by way of introduction, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And uh, the church at Ephesus was a church of non-Jews, essentially, Gentiles. And uh, this passage that we're going to touch on today is a prayer that he had for that church. And and Paul is writing this from prison in Rome. And so um, that's a little bit of the context for you. And please follow along as I read Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. It's a prayer for spiritual strength. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we bow our hearts before you and we thank you for revealing yourself through your word that we can freely open it this morning. And I ask, Spirit, that you would take these truths and run them into our hearts in a way that transforms our lives and that you would use me as your instrument, ever so imperfect, yet I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim such good news. And I pray that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to please you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a couple questions I want to begin with. And answer them in your minds or write them uh, in your notes if you're taking notes. And I encourage you to keep 
uh, your, your finger on Ephesians 3 because we're going to just walk through this and um, we'll be referring back to it a lot. But the questions I have for you to answer to yourselves are these. What are your present hopes or dreams? And how intensely are you thinking about them and pursuing them? How much do they consume your thoughts and even, even your decisions? And the second question, what are your present fears? And how much do they control your thoughts, your actions? So what are your present dreams or hopes? How much do they control you? What are your fears? And how much do they control you? We're all human. We all have them. We all live in the same world. And so these are things that we hold common with each other. In 2016, our family took a vacation to Big Sky, Montana. And we, on family vacations, I try to each day give one of my kids an opportunity to hang out with me, do whatever they desire, um, as long as it didn't totally empty my wallet. And so... um, This particular year, two of my daughters wanted to go climbing, or hiking, I'll say. (laughs) Ended up being climbing. But you're in the mountains, tons of hiking trails. We had been there before. We'd gone on nice hikes. And so this certain day, they chose Bone Crusher. And uh, this is at uh, Lone Mountain Resort in Big Sky. You, had to, you got to take a cable car up to probably 8,000 feet. And here's the trailhead. And notice the color of the diamond. Okay. Um, I think that means you definitely don't want to be out there when it's dark at night. That's why it's black. And then um, we're looking, oh, 2.8 miles. Huh. That's not very long. One hiking pro tip always note the elevation gain, okay? 2,015 feet, that should tell you something. Well, it didn't tell us anything. We had running shoes on. Um, Mariah and I actually, the year before, had taken a stint up this, and, and this is actually just above all those beautiful trees right here. You go about mm, 100 yards And this is what you get. You can't see any of that from the trees. Um, So anyways, we began up the trail. And um, one of the conditions of the hike was that the cable car system only ran to a certain length of time during the day. And so we thought we had plenty of time to, uh, to catch the last cable car coming down, which is that little black dot up on the top up there. Um, so that was part of the, the challenge. But as we were going up the trail, so much of the trail, um, you couldn't really see very well. And so you can see what we're walking on is a lot of rock because you're up so high, things can't grow. And... We found ourselves, one, getting tired, two, getting more and more fearful, um, to quote an unknown daughter, I won't, I'll leave her nameless. She's like, either we're going to have to get a helicopter to get us off this mountain, or one of us is going to fall to certain death. And so, there's definitely some scary places, and some tears, and... We would, at times, hold hands with each other just because uh, the the drop-offs and things like that. Uh, Us as experienced hikers knew good safety procedures like holding hands and telling them that everything's going to be okay through lots of tears. And um, the last part of the climb looked like this. And, of course, you can't see the summit, can you? 
And that's the rock that we climbed up and you, those cables are there for you to hang on to. That, that's what we figured they were for because you certainly, uh, it was so steep that it was hard to walk. And, and we found ourselves grabbing very tightly to that cable, exhausted, hurrying to get to the top because there was no way we were going to hike back down. And I couldn't imagine us sleeping up there waiting till the next day to catch cable cars because there'd be certain death for me when we got back. And I don't need to take that any further. It wouldn't be a dad of the year award, that's for sure. So that was the last part of our climb. And, and the good news is we made it to the summit. And here's a... We made it. Top of Lone Peak. What do you got to say? Oh, too, stat. <laughs> Never again. Nah. Winter? I need to exercise first. I do not recommend climbing up a mountain as an amateur with no guide. <laughs> hey, what do you call me? Blind guide. Here we are. Up, way up. There's the spot that we started way, well, you can't even see it. Way down there. Gorgeous view. God made all this. So that was worth the hike. To make it to the top and just experience the fullness of God's creation. And we could only do it by keeping that destination in sight and <laughs> not turning back. Uh, hanging on to each other. And, and just to, to be up at the summit there knowing that We'd hoped to make it, and we went through a lot of fears to get there, um, and just to experience the majesty of God there. It was a beautiful picture of um, what Paul is laying out for us with his prayer in Ephesians 3. And as we walk through this, I want you to keep in mind that... Um, this prayer that Paul is, is laying before us is for spiritual strength. And he lays out these different stepping... I, I saw them just as, as steps that we get to take in our Christian walk. And so I put them together in four points here. And I like alliteration because I'm simple-minded and I need help remembering things. And so the first one is the power of the Spirit... Secondly, presence of Christ. Thirdly, possession of God's fullness. And fourthly, pray with limitless expectations. And so as we walk through this prayer, keep these things in mind. Because we're going to expand out on each one of these points based on Paul's prayer here. And... I hope that, it, that as we walk through this, you'll see how as we take the, the next step, the next step on this journey that Christ has us on, and he supplies everything that we need for the journey, and to keep our eyes on him in a journey, that we will have our lives impacted, that we will have our prayer life impacted. And so... Power of the Spirit, presence of Christ, possession of God's fullness, pray with limitless expectations. And the banner I put over this passage is this. Our life of faith is limitless when our desires are strengthened by the power of the Spirit, the presence of the love of Christ, and possessing all the fullness of God. Our life of faith is limitless when our desires are strengthened by the power of the Spirit, the presence of the love of Christ, and possessing all the fullness of God. And prayer expresses our heart's desire connected with our understanding of God. Your prayer life reflects 
who you believe God to be and who you know Him to be. And so I pray that as we go through this passage that your understanding of who God is is expanded in a way that your prayer life is expanded, in a way that the strength that you experience because you are loved by Jesus Christ grows and expands. And so no matter where you're at this morning in your relationship with God, and and if maybe this is your first time in a church building, welcome, glad you're here. Or maybe you've been on a journey for a little while, you're, you're partway up the hill, you've made it through the pretty part with the trees, and now you're in the rocks and trying to figure out where the trail goes, and you've Maybe you've fallen several times and so you're beaten up by life a little bit and exhausted and looking back down like, oh, should I go back down there where it's more comfortable or do I keep climbing? Uh, I pray that you will see what God is offering to us and that it's his heart to give us everything that we need to experience more of him and the beauty of his love, to know that, that we are um, given this limitless power to make the climb of faith. And so, as this passage begins in 14 and 15, the banner I put over this is humility in God's presence. Paul has extreme humility in God's presence. Our prayers begin with, an at, with the attitude of our heart as we pray to God the Father. What's the attitude of our hearts when we come to God? And again, it flows from who we understand Him to be. And so Paul starts out the passage, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul prefaces his prayer with the phrase, For this reason. What reason is he referring to? Well, if you dial earlier in the book, dial back, uh, he's referring to his understanding of God's saving purpose of humanity in the world. That he wants to create a new humanity. A humanity where he is the Father. That we are an eternal household that he's, his gracious work mercifully brings us from death to life, that rescues us from our sin, simply by faith in his son Jesus. And then he wants, us to, make, make, wants to make us a new household of faith, a community of saints. That's the work that he's up to, to make us Jesus' workmanship. That's the reason, that's some of the reason that he prays. And so, look at what comes next. Oh, I'm sorry. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, explains this, this household further. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are also being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to, to show his posture in this prayer. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. And so, the normal posture for Jews in this time was standing. We see that in the Gospels, like the Pharisees standing in one spot with his arrogant prayer, and then the the tax collector beating his chest, standing, praying differently. So it would have been unusual for, for someone to kneel and pray. And what do you suppose kneeling would indicate? And you think about him kneeling before the Father. It indicates an extraordinary desire or degree of of desperation, of humility, or a desire to be heard. 
and answered. Uh, a, a great respect for the one that you're praying to. As you're coming before in his presence. Like Jesus, the night when he was betrayed and the day before he's going to the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He knelt, he fell on his face and prayed. Luke 22 records it this way. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And listened to his heart, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was the creator of the universe. He was God. Yet he postured himself before the Father in this way. And nobody knows the Father besides the Holy Spirit and Jesus together. And he's kneeling before his Father. Yet he's fully human. We're fully human. And so you see that example from Jesus. Then there's Stephen. In the book of Acts, when he's the one that was proclaiming the gospel, and then he proceeded to stone him for it. And so Stephen's dying words are a prayer. And this is how he postured himself with the last recorded verse of his life. Acts 7.60 Stephen knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep and died. Stephen's last words were from his knees before his father. What a way to go. I mean, I don't desire that, but what an example for us. For what reasons do you drop to your knees in prayer? Or even, what's the frequency maybe that, that you're willing to get on your knees and pray? I had to ask myself that as I'm studying this, because I've read this prayer a bunch of times, and, and so many times I skip right over that part of Paul bowing on his knees before his father. And, and I needed to repent. Because many, many mornings I'm sitting in my very comfortable lazy boy chair with my feet up, my coffee, my Bible open, spending time with the Lord, but I find myself casually praying. And, but when I stop and think about some of the things that, that need prayer, I need to get out of the chair. And so, think about that for yourself. How might your posture in prayer reflect your attitude and your understanding of who's listening and who's answering and who loves you and who gives you the power to even kneel and pray? When we reflect on God's amazing grace and the access that we have to his holy presence through Christ, shouldn't we be led to get on our knees? The one who called us, forgave us, redeemed us, washed us by his own blood, and has adopted us into his eternal family. God has made us part of his family. And it's with that kind of grateful attitude that we can join with the psalmist. In Psalm 95, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Out of this attitude of humble worship, Paul directs his prayer to the Father. And specifically, the Father of whom every family has been named in heaven and on earth. Think about that for a minute. 
every one of us, every human being owes their existence to the Father, to God. Because He spoke us into existence. It's from His power we were created. And we all bear a name that we, we didn't choose. I don't know about you, I didn't choose to get born. But here I am. And so it's a beautiful picture of how our Father possesses inexhaustible resources that we can come before in prayer. Our hearts receive power from God the Spirit to understand the presence of Christ's love, which is beyond our fullest understanding. Our hearts receive power from who? God the Spirit. What does it help us with? It helps us to understand the presence of Christ's love, which is beyond our fullest understanding. Let me read verses 16 to 18 here and follow with me. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. This is a whole sermon by itself, maybe a whole sermon series. But in these verses, Paul's prayer continues its climb to the incredible summit of God's fullness, the fullness of God, uh, our limitless God. And he prays that out of the riches of his glory, out of God's glory, that the Father may grant to us, the believer, may give to us, first of all, the strength, the power that comes through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. This morning, where do you need the most strength? Think about that for a minute. Is it, do you feel physically tired, emotionally, mentally, Are there certain circumstances that feel overwhelming? If you're honest, they're bigger than you. I like to think of it, where is it in my life that I recognize that I'm in over my head? Because if I'm honest, it's pretty much everywhere. Um, And so think about that in your own life. And this, this power is infinitely and perfectly connected by faith where Christ is invited to live. And so the Holy Spirit takes the things that are Jesus's and he shows them to us. He reminds us of them. And he shows them through us. The things that we do in in love and our actions are the power of Christ and his inhabitation inside of us. And so we understand, we're supposed to understand this truth about Christ dwelling in our hearts as one as an eternal residence. Jesus isn't coming in as as a two-day guest or a visitor. Like if your hot water heater breaks, you bring in a plumber to get that fixed so you have hot water. And then the plumber goes on his way. With Jesus, it's much different. Paul uses the word dwell in verse 17. It's it's a very strong word. It's a very important word. And it means to to settle down. It means to inhabit. It, It carries the mean of taking up permanent residence. And so, if you think about Jesus taking up permanent residence in your heart, That means he comes to rule and reign in your heart. And the heart describes 
is described in Scripture as the decision-making center of our lives. Every decision flows from that, what controls us. What comes out of our mouth is from our heart. Our desires, our passions come from our hearts. And so it's the core of who we are. And you can see how it's important it is to have Christ ruling as the king of your heart. About 18 years ago, we moved into the house we live in now, and it was in pretty rough shape. And, for example, it had three different kinds of trim throughout the house. It had shag carpet in the bathroom. Pretty cool, huh? Go lay down in the floor in there. Um, had commercial carpet across the whole main floor, kind of purplish, greenish. Even in the kitchen. It was great. Didn't have to mop up any spills. Is soak right in the carpet. And uh, also, it, it, it's the type of house that would have been in, a sty- in style in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, all at the same time. Um, not quite our look. And so, first several weeks, we went through the house and just did all the re- replacing the trim, tearing down wallpaper, floor coverings. Actually, the house was listed as legally as one-bedroom house. And by the time we got done, it was five legal bedrooms. And so it was way more comfortable for our family of six at the time. And it was great to have you know, these floor coverings that were appropriate for the space you lived in and, and all those things you can imagine. And this is the picture that Paul, is, I thought of just the idea of Christ settling to be at home inside of me. That it's a place that he is comfortable being in, that reflects his character, his tastes. D.A. Carson puts it very well when he writes, when Christ by his spirit takes up residence within us, he finds a moral equivalent to trash, black and silver wallpaper, and a leaking roof. He sets about turning this residence into a place appropriate for him, a home from which he is comfortable. When a person takes up long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. When Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change us, and that is why Paul prays for power. He is transforming us into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. If you think about your character, you think about your own heart, what is your heart reflecting? How does it reflect you? in how you speak, how you you act, what areas of your life do you need inner strength to look more like Jesus and to look less like yourself um, and your own brokenness, your own pain, the areas you're trying to fix yourself. If you're anything like me, you go at it for a long time and (laughs) it doesn't work very well. And so, go back to your initial question, the initial questions that I asked about your hopes, your dreams, your fears. Because these are the places you need Christ and the Spirit's power to come and live. These are the places that you need Him to shape you. How you fight sin. To proclaim the gospel with courage. To love the people around you in the way that Christ loves you. As a believer, you have been promised that God the Spirit and Jesus have taken up residence in the control center of your life, in your heart. Will you invite him to rule the roost in every corner of your heart? If it was a house, would you let Christ go into every corner, under every bed, into every closet, into the basement, and have control. Clean it up so that he feels at home there. That you experience his love in those 
especially the dark places of your life. Because Jesus is a light. He's the healer. And so as you think about him ruling the roost of your heart, Paul then moves and continues his climb at the end of verse 17 and 18. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the strength, with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Paul's describing the Christian as being rooted and grounded in love. Well, the first term is an agricultural term, rooted, being rooted in love. The second is an architectural term, being grounded, being built on something. And so if you think about those two analogies, if the love of Christ is rooted in your heart, what's going to be growing? What's going to be the fruit of your life? It's going to be Christ's love. If your life is built on the the love of Christ, he's going to be your cornerstone. That house is going to stand no matter what comes. No matter what fears smash against it. No matter what circumstances. Because you will know that you're on a firm foundation. That moment by moment, you're being loved by God. Listen to Ephesians 1. Because it describes this love that has come to us before the foundation, again, an architectural word, of the world. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, in love, God has called us and brought us to life. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul is on repeat throughout Ephesians, reminding believers of the incredible love that we've been loved with. And he continues on the climb by describing this love with breadth and length and height and depth. And it's hard to be super clear on what he's getting to there. But for sure, it's, it's the dimensions, the limitless dimensions of God's love for us. And how God's love is infinite and it's perfect. And it's for us. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about the breadth of love, which includes the whole world. It includes, meaning every race is included in God's love. It's not just for one race. Or or the length of it, the length of his love is eternal. It's an everlasting love, according to Jeremiah 31.3. Or Psalm 103 talks about God's love being higher than the heavens. That should help as you look at the stars, right? Like God's higher love for me is higher than that. You might have to go outside the city. There's these things called stars out there. And then the depth. Micah 7 talks about how God throws our sins into the deepest sea. What great love to take what separates us from him and bury it. Get rid of it. And Paul goes on to pray that we should, try, we should all try to comprehend this, uh, this amazing love. Another way to say comprehend is to seize, to take hold of. And 
It, it reminds me even of the, the picture of the climb that we took in that last part that was just so steep. And it was too much for us. We had to take hold of the cable just to get up there. And, and it was worth it. Like the cable you knew was good. It, it kept us safe. It kept us secure. Just like Christ's love. If you're hanging on to his love, if you're fighting, meditating on it, contemplating it, remembering all that Jesus has done, you will be secure. You will continue to move towards the fullness of God. And then he talks about how we are, he prays for all the saints to grasp his love. And so it doesn't matter your status that you come in today with, whether it's socioeconomic or ethnicity or even your past. We all have, have different situations. Um, doesn't matter what age you are. All saints should pursue a deeper understanding for the love of Christ together. That's why it's essential to be in relationship with other believers, to be in community with other believers. We're not meant to live the Christian life in isolation. It doesn't work nearly as well that way. Because without others around us sharing the good news of Christ's love, in their lives, sharing stories of grace. When they share those with us, when we get to share with them, when we get to remind each other of the good news in Jesus, we are lifted higher. When we're prayed for, we're lifted higher. When we pray together, when we remind each other of how much we're loved by Jesus, we experience God-sized, God-intended relationships as all the saints. That, that's the why of connections, gospel communities, is to gather and experience the love of Christ through one another, pointing to Jesus. And it's amazing. It's supernatural. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work. So we need each other. And then notice Paul takes another step higher in this climb. It's, it's past knowing and comprehending these dimensions to extend our minds way past what we can handle. He says it surpasses knowledge. You know, we're supposed to try and comprehend it and take hold of it, but it's, it's bigger than we can fully know. But that doesn't stop us from continuing to understand. It should encourage us that as we seek to know this love that surpasses knowing that we're gifted with the immeasurable grace that he's given us the immeasurable power of his grace so it matches all that stuff and we can never exhaust it and so be encouraged that 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 we will without a doubt spend all eternity exploring and experiencing the inexhaustible love and grace and power of our god let that blow your mind. Let that stretch your faith. Let it give you power. Okay, think again about your hopes, dreams, and fears. How many of those are attached to your desire for love? Maybe it's the love of a significant other. Maybe it's the love of your spouse, the love of your job. You know, whatever that love is, Super Bowl's coming up, um, we desire love. That's hardwired in us by God. Maybe it's a fear of having lost the love of somebody. You've experienced that, that in the past. Or maybe it's a future fear of that happening. Through abuse, through abandonment, through divorce, through um, unfaithfulness, through somebody distancing themselves from you. You live in fear of those things or you live as a result of those things happening in the past. And so you, you fear risking loving again. 
out of some of those hard things from this broken world. Maybe this morning you just need to hear Paul's encouragement. Just even a little bit to take a little step of faith. Humbly, desperately experiencing the love of Christ because that love is already there. It's not going anywhere. It cannot shrink down based on your experience. And Jesus knows the hurt and the pain. He suffered as we did. He sympathizes. Are you willingly, willing to, to trust him, even if it's in desperation, to love you? To heal you? To give you power over your past? Give you power over what's coming in the future? To know that he's got it. Then verse 19, um, this is the banner over it. Building our life on the love of Jesus, we will possess the fullness of God. Building our life on the love of Jesus, we will possess the fullness of God. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Contemplate that, being filled with all the fullness of God. An infinite God. Paul is making a God-sized prayer, isn't he? I don't know the last time I actually prayed that. God, fill me with all of your fullness. My prayers are usually James-sized. And Paul wants to expand us out. He wants us to take a next step higher in our climb. The spiritual strength, the experience, the heights of his great love, the fullness of all that he is. It's unbelievable. And so, as you think about that, why would would Paul be praying for the believers that he knows and loves and he's leading What would be the evidence of them becoming more and more full of God? Wouldn't it be reflected in their maturity? Wouldn't it be reflected in their their love for one another? The love that they demonstrate in their homes? Wouldn't it be a, a hunger for God's Word? I don't know about you, but I find that Uh, As I experience the fullness of God, I desire to pray more. I'm way quicker to set down my phone when the Spirit's like, hey James, I think 15 minutes perusing Chicago Bears rumors is enough. (laughs) Why don't you go way higher (laughs) to heaven? You can fill in the spot for you. But even in those little moments, When I stop and I pray, um, I've got lots of things in my life that that I am desperate for God to show up in. My heart is strengthened. It's it's way better than the the possible potential for the Bears to win the Super Bowl, um, which is like the highest dream ever. But I was alive in 85. Anyways, um, that... It's just, it's amazing. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that's the prayer for us, for us to mature and to grow, for all of us to be on a journey upward, chasing after Christ, experiencing his love, because it changes everything. It changes how we deal with each other's messes. It helps us be unified. It helps us look at the world with love, not disdain. It helps us live sent into a lost world that desperately needs the love of Jesus. And if you're sitting here this morning, I bet it's because you've experienced the love of Jesus through somebody else. Think about that. God wants to supply you 
with everything. His fullness. He doesn't withhold any good thing from those he loves. I'll get back to my notes now. Um, Jesus prayed a similar prayer in John 17, 26, and essentially it's a prayer for us. Jesus is praying this for you. So that the love you, the Father, loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Jesus is praying that his love would dwell in us as he and the Father experience love. There is no fuller love than that. And then finally, we, we reach the summit of sorts with Paul's prayer in verses 20 and 21. And, and Paul moves from petitioning, asking God for things, to praising God. Listen to these final verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul here is he's closing this up with a prayer of praise. And so he's laying out some breathtaking proofs, uh, truths about God's ability to answer prayer and to work in our lives. And he wants us to pray with limitless expectations because God is more than able. When you come to God in prayer, know that the only limitations that are there are from you. God is limitless. And he actually is able to do more than you can ask or think. That's what he wants us to believe. That's what Paul is praying for. That's what Paul is praising God for here. And so, the good news in that is that God is able to answer. And he's not idle. He's not far off. He's not distant. And he's certainly not dead. And so when you come to him in prayer... Why do you come to him? I think the answer is pretty simple. Because you know he listens and he will answer. God listens to our prayers. No matter how simple, no matter how confused we are, God already knows our hearts. He already knows our thoughts. He loves it when we express our heart to him. And he welcomes us. And he is able. It, 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 it reminds me of when my kids were young and uh, we teach them how to tie their shoes, right? Like they're, they're trying to tie it themselves and they start to cry because they can't do it after 15 minutes. And they, they come to me and, Dad, can you tie my shoe for me? You know, and as a dad, like, yes, I am able to do that. And watch, I'm abundantly able because I can double knot it and it won't come untied again. We need to have a heart like that when we come to God the Father. We might be in tears and it's a, it's a huge thing to us, but to God, he's like, yeah, I can take care of that. No problem. I'll even double knot it. And it's with that in mind that Paul wants us, he, he, he takes this gigantic step higher. Listen to the language here. God is able to do abundantly more than all that we ask or think. Abundantly more than all. That, that's translated like super abundantly. Super, super abundantly and more than that then all, all that we can ask or think. Do you, do you know what all is translated into Greek? All. Everything. I'm not fluent in Greek, but I know that part. 
But it's everything. There's nothing you can't bring to him. And so, consider that. Simply put, God is limitless in what he can do. If you understand God, God that way, what Paul is teaching us through this prayer, that God is infinite in his ability to work beyond our prayers, our thoughts, our fears, our dreams. And that ability is by the power at work within us. It's already within us in Christ by the power of the Spirit. If you were to evaluate your own prayer life, if you were to evaluate your own faith in God's ability to guide your life, is your life of faith limitless because your desires are strengthened by the power of the Spirit, the presence of the love of Christ, and possess all the fullness of God? What is God speaking into your heart right now? Through his truth in Ephesians 3. Do you desire to express your heart with a, with a greater humility, with a greater gratitude, with a greater confidence in God's infinite power, his love and ability to do superabundantly more than all than you can even ask or think or imagine this morning? The good news is whether you've ever trusted God or not, you simply get to take the next step of faith. No matter where you're at, in all that God has already done in His Son, Jesus. You see, Jesus has already made the most difficult climb. Jesus has made a way more difficult climb than the bone crusher. Jesus actually made the most difficult climb downward. He stepped out of heaven to be born of this earth. Why? So that he could live the perfect life in our place. Give his own blood to wash away all our sins if we trust him. He carried that cross up the hill to demonstrate the breadth, the length, the height going down into the depths of even hell in order to demonstrate his love for us. The work is finished. He's completed it. He's done it in our place. And now he's resurrected from the dead and he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. Let him come and rule and reign in your own heart. By faith, we now have access to the same power through the Holy Spirit. We are loved with a love that is not limited by any dimension. We are loved with a love that we can never be separated from Jesus. And it's by that same power that we get to journey together with all the saints and with Jesus himself forever. And ever. And ever. As we close our time in prayer this morning, um, I, I want to invite you to, we're going to do something different. It seems very, very appropriate based on this sermon text that we kneel and pray. Um, and if you're comfortable and able, uh, worship team, go ahead and step out so you're not tripping over people. But I would just ask you to kneel with me. And, and I want to take some time in silent prayer. And so, if you're comfortable, kneel. As the Apostle Paul demonstrated his posture of prayer and Jesus in the garden. And let's just take a moment to silently pray. pray. Whatever's on your heart, your hopes, your dreams, your fears, the space in your heart that you need Jesus to empower and indwell, invite him there right now.
Heavenly Father, we bow before you and know that you have achieved and demonstrated a love that's beyond our comprehension. And I pray, Spirit, that you would meet each one of us right now in those places where we need your power the most, to be strengthened, to experience your forgiving power, your healing power, uh, the power to take another step, the power to rejoice in you. May we move out from this place with hearts that regularly bow before you, where we're very willing to get on our knees because we understand how much we're loved by you. If there's anyone here that um, is maybe bowing before you for the first time, Jesus, meet them with your loving eyes, your, your, your arms wrapped around them. Um, may they experience your saving grace. And all of us saints that um, have professed faith in you, may we too um, be available to make the climb day after day that as long as we have breath, may we pray to you and profess you. May we grow in the fullness of your love and all that you are, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.